going to start out, though, uh, with another in our discussion of the U.S. Constitution. This is what we have been reading about, talking about all summer for the WDET Book Club. By the way, you can still join us and get a free copy of the Constitution and sign up to join the WDET Book Club page on Facebook. And on Culture Shift, of course, we've been exploring the Constitution in a different kind of way, like diving into the history of how the First and Second Amendments are reflected in popular music, which was great fun, for me at least. Uh, also, the ways activists are protecting artists' freedom of speech. Now, we are going to continue that by finding out how astrologers predict what may happen in the future for the United States by looking at what was happening in the stars during July 4th, 1776. Culture Ship's Amanda LeClaire spoke with LA-based astrologer Nina Griffin, who has extensively researched, and sometimes that research has been into a controversial astrological forecast for the United States. So my approach to astrology is so-called traditional astrology, which is astrology as it was practiced uh, before the Age of Enlightenment, I guess. <laughs> um, so that basically means astrology as it was practiced in, as far as we know, ancient times, medieval era, and um, the Renaissance period, and perhaps early modern era as well. And it's distinguished by primarily focusing on, um, you know, visible planets versus ones that are not visible or only visible, you know, via magnification like Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and so on. Uh, but also, there is a strong emphasis in traditional astrology in what we call mundane astrology. And that's one area of, of interest and expertise, which is where we look at the astrology of the world, you know, of countries, of larger movements, not just individuals. That's a great point to jump off at. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with the practice, can you talk about the history of forecasting for cities, countries, uh, other human settlements? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know what's interesting, Amanda, is that this is probably the oldest form of astrology, as far as we know. Um, way, way back, uh, probably during Babylonian times, we know that the state, the king, actually paid lots of astrologers and built these observatories to look at when different planets would be rising and making connections with each other. And based on that, these astronomer astrologers would then make predictions based on what would happen to the country and advise the king, you know, is this the right time to go to war? Or is it going to be a good harvest this year? That kind of thing. So in many ways, this is probably the original OG form of astrology. How far back do these types of charts uh, predictions go? So as far as we know, you know, charts are relatively new. And when I say new, it's, you know, we're probably talking maybe at most 2,500 years ago. When we're looking at Babylonia, they were doing what's called more observational astrology. So they wouldn't cast a chart, which means they wouldn't create necessarily like a drawing of where all the planets are in all these different houses. You know, that's a very sophisticated, relatively more recent development. Literally what you would get more in, in the very ancient times is an observation that, for example, when Venus emerged from the sun's rays, when she became visible to the naked eye, that meant that the king would be going to war. You know, so it wasn't a chart. It was more of an observation on what a certain planet was doing with relation to other planets. Let's get into the reason we're talking today. And that's because we're starting to wrap up our summer book club, which for WDET this year is the U.S. Constitution. And there's some pretty interesting and some contentious history of astrologers forecasting for the United States. Um, so the U.S. is actually very unique astrologically because 
it's really the first country that we know of that even has a birthday. Now we can of course get later into what's the right birth time, which is more challenging, right? But at least there's a day because if you think about it, you know, kingdoms and empires historically didn't really have a start date. And that is kind of one of the challenges with this type of astrology is, okay, when, when do you cast a chart for? As you know, uh, or as your audience may know, you cast a birth chart for the moment that something comes into being, whether it's a person or an animal or a building or a state, whatever, right? But of course, with countries, there's usually not a start time. It's very rare. The only one we know of that's an exception to that is perhaps the city of Baghdad, which was astrologically elected, but that's a different different conversation. Um, what's interesting about this, I think, is that because the United States was the first country where there was a start date, uh, it was really, we can think of it as really starting off kind of this trend in astrology since the late 1700s of looking for charts that represent countries. And the way that we do it is, you know, even before July 4th, 1776, there's a whole series of events that we could consider as perhaps being the start of what is now the United States, right? The Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock, right? December 21st, 1620, uh, the Boston Tea Party in 1773, the first Congress in 1774, you know, the start of the Revolutionary War. I mean, you can really create a lot of kind of a long string of events. So what we try to do is the way that astrologers look at it nowadays is they look at each of these charts, realizing that not all of them may have the same degree of, of importance or description of what eventually becomes the US, but they all relate to each other. And so they may share certain characteristics. They may be useful in some ways. At the end of the day, though, I think it, the Declaration of Independence is very unique because it's a little bit analogous to the birth of a child, right? It's when you're born, you're declaring independence from your mom, so to speak, right? And so the same thing happens to uh, to a country like the United States that said, okay, I am ready to cut that metaphorical umbilical cord between ourselves and, and England. And so that's why astrologers generally look at July 4th, 1776 as the date uh, for the start of the country. Now, again, there are lots of debates on the time and we can get into that, but that's generally the accepted date. Well, let's keep with that. How has the birth time of the U.S. traditionally been decided on? Absolutely. So part of it is, you know, just historic records, but also, you know, how people um, sort of, there has been sort of a little bit of a mythology as well that astrologers themselves have added to that day. So for example, just to give you a sense, is that the declaration is said to have been brought to the floor around 10 a.m. on July 4th. But then if you look at John Adams' uh, work or his, his letters, they didn't start the vote to approve the language as edited until the 11th hour of the morning. And then they would go through the document and the motion to finalize or to ratify was made sometime between 11 a.m. and noon. That's what we get from Adams, right? And so lots of people, or not a lot, but there are some people who set these charts for you know around 10 or 11 a.m. But then if you look at certain historic documents, including Thomas Jefferson's writings, um, they support more of a late afternoon time for ratification of the Declaration of Independence, but we don't have anything that specifies a time. So we could be, you know, what's late afternoon? I don't know, maybe between three and five, three and six, something like that. So right away, there are already um, inconsistencies in the historic record. Generally, what we do is you know, astrologers themselves right away 
um, started really looking at, okay, what is the right time for this, for this very special moment? So there was uh, a 19th century astrologer called Luke Broughton, who was probably the best known U.S. astrologer of his time. And in 1861, he said that the sign Gemini rules the U.S., and he was assuming like a 2.15 a.m. time because he thought that chart just fit based on subsequent events, even though no historic data supports 2.15 a.m. or anything even close to that. So what we there are a couple of things we do. One, we try to look at the historic record just like any historian would and try to see, okay, what's the most plausible, what's the most exact. Um, however, astrologers also have another tool in their toolbox that a historian wouldn't, which is we then look at subsequent events, big things that have happened in the United States, you know, wars, big events, uh, big transformations in the country. And we try to sort of work backwards and say, okay, does a say 5 p.m. chart match these different events? And so as you can imagine, there are lots of different uh, opinions because somebody might say, well, this chart is really good at showing you know, Pearl Harbor, but someone else says, well, but this one really reflects 9-11. And so it can be a little bit of a, of a um, stasis, you know, you end up in a situation where astrologers have different views, but there are certain charts that are known to be certainly more useful, more effective. And one of them is the so-called Sibley chart. We're speaking with Nina Griffin, LA-based astrologer, about how astrologers have puzzled, argued, and made predictions for the United States itself nearly since the country was born on July 4th, 1776. Uh, Nina, let's get into the chart you mentioned, the Sibley chart, uh, in just a minute. But I'm curious, at the time the Constitution was ratified, what was the Western view on the practice of astrology? Yeah, that's a really fascinating question. So on the one hand, there were definitely practitioners. And so when we get into the Sibley chart, that was actually someone who was um, a Freemason in England who published um, a U.S. chart in 1787. So there were definitely practitioners. But just as you pointed out, um, this idea of the, of the Enlightenment, which had sort of elevated science, but it had deprecated some of these what were called, what you might call divinatory or mantic arts, such as astrology. That's, you know, we've been seeing that for probably about 200, 250 years now. It wasn't sort of one, one event that made that happen. But there, especially in the West, in Europe, and in the United States, astrology went, underwent a bit of a, a lull in terms of um, the number of people who studied it, a number of people who even knew about it. Um, we definitely didn't see a lot of it in the 19th century. There were definitely some writings, but in terms of volume compared to you know, what you would see in the 18th and then certainly the, the earlier centuries, like 17th and 16th, um, there was definitely a decrease in interest, which then sort of started to increase again in the 20th century, particularly in the second half of the 20th century. So the Sibley chart's fascinating. So Ebenezer Sibley was a Freemason in England in the second half of the, seven, the 18th century. And so in 1787, not too long after the Declaration of Independence, he published a chart set for the start of the United States. As far as we know, this is the first chart of, you know, of the US that exists, that was certainly published. The problem with the Sibley chart is that it's a hopeless mishmash. It's sort of a chimera of these different issues. And I'll try to um, just give your audience a little bit of a flavor for the problems. Some of them are more technical. Some I think will be very evident to anyone. So it was set for Philadelphia, which is great. But then it was also set for 10, 10 p.m. London time, even though it's set for Philadelphia. But it was calculated for 9.50 p.m. 
And then the planetary positions were actually set for 4.50 p.m. So already it's just a complete, complete mess. From an astronomical calculation perspective, it's, you know, it's really criticized. It's really just hopelessly confused. What's interesting about this chart is that in the 20th century, it's, it, it has been used quite a bit, mainly by people who didn't know kind of all these problems with it, who just took it as is. But what's interesting about it is it actually works pretty well for predicting major, major events in American history. And there has been speculation that maybe Sibley was working actually from other charts, larger uh, seasonal and annual horoscopes. And he sort of put these different elements into one chart, which even though it couldn't exist astronomically, it has elements of, of accuracy from different charts that were correct. So again, it's more of a chimera. One of the notes that I've seen, or one of the kind of discussions that I've seen regarding this particular chart um, relates to 9-11. Um, and what's, what's interesting about that particular um, event is that if you look at the Sibley chart, there was a very important uh, configuration uh, going on uh, at the time at 9-11. Um, it had Pluto in Sagittarius, which is kind of a longer transit, but then it was opposite um, Saturn in Gemini. And so it's a Saturn-Pluto opposition, which is these two planets are considered very heavy. They create big changes in nations and changes that tend to be traumatic, you know, like wars and, and things like that. The Sibley chart just is exact, very much sort of highlights this. If you had been using the Sibley chart, you would have definitely said, yes, something really big, something really traumatic is going to happen in the United States um, in, in 2001. And so, you know, like I said, there are elements of it that, that are definitely usable and that, you know, warrant a, a second look at it. You mentioned the effect of the former planet Pluto, which is still part of astrological practices. Uh, I have been reading recently that the U.S. is experiencing something that never happens in an individual's life, but does happen for, for countries and cities. And that's because it only happens every 240 years or so. And that's what's called a Pluto return. Is that correct? Uh, and what does it mean to have a Pluto return? Yes, that is correct. So Pluto, because it's a very, very slow moving planet, dwarf, planetoid, whatever we're calling it astronomically today, but it's a very you know, slowly moving body. And what happens is that the Pluto cycle is very long. In other words, it takes a long time um, for it to return to the same position that it occupied at any given point. So it's what you call astronomically an orbital period. In other words, if it's, you know, Pluto is in a certain location in the sky today, and it's going to take approximately 248 years to return to that exact spot. And so when a planet has a return, that means that, you know, in this case, that's a Pluto return. And so the idea with these returns is that whatever was sort of seeded, whatever was promised at the moment that the, um, that, that, you know, that the U.S. had its inception comes around again. Um, so, for example, if at the beginning of the U.S. we were dealing with issues of, you know, do we want a monarchy or do we want a democracy? Well, maybe we're dealing with some of those issues again today in a, in a 21st century kind of way. So it, what's interesting is that, of course, there are countries that are a lot older than the U.S., but because we don't know their starting point, we don't know when they would have their Pluto return, right? So just as an example, again, England, um, we don't know when, when did England really start? You know, some people use the 1066 chart, knowing, of course, that England had been settled for a lot longer than that. But, uh, but to get to your point, uh, the Pluto return is definitely going to be 
something that would happen, like I said, around that 248, 250 year period. And even though we don't really have too many other countries that started in the 1700s that have a specific known date, I mean, the US really was the first of its kind. So I guess those Pluto returns are going to be, you know, coming up for other countries in the coming years. Nonetheless, it is going to come up in very much the same way. And because a lot of countries, for example, like in Latin America, started, you know, their journey similar to the U.S. Uh, as a declaration of independence from, you know, from Spain or from Portugal, they're going to be dealing with some of those same issues, right? Are we going to be a sort of, um, you know, plutocratic, no pun intended, country that's sort of monarchically ruled, or is it more something democratic, something modern, something where the power is distributed more, more equitably among people? And so even without talking about specific countries, we know that they're going to be dealing with the same kinds of issues that gave birth to those uh, movements of independence. Certainly Pluto is going to be um, in the sign of, of Capricorn sort of of where it is, it's going to be there for another, well, you know, exactly, depends how you measure because Pluto is so slow moving, another two, three years. So I think we'll be dealing with this for the next handful of years, right? Because it's slow moving, it tends to describe processes rather than specific one-time discrete events. And usually when you look at these kinds of periods, you could say, oh yeah, that was a, you know, five or 10 year period where this kind of Pluto process was going on. Certainly in the US, I think we'll be dealing with some of these issues uh, probably until the middle of, of this decade. Before I let you go, Nina, uh, we've got to get into some of your predictions for the U.S. for the next few years. There is a lot of tension, a lot of worry for most people about the ongoing COVID pandemic. Uh, we have another election coming up in 2024. What can we expect ahead? So I actually use sort of a, a host of different techniques. I don't relies, you know, only on the July 4th chart, but there are often reflections of these different events in the chart, especially if it's something major. Certainly the US, I think one of the reasons that we got hit with COVID so badly as we did is because we are going through this Pluto experience. It's never pleasant, right? It's kind of like it dredges up really heavy uh, events, really heavy survival sort of experiences. And so we certainly had that as a country. However, I think that one of the important um, elements to consider is that one, the Pluto return won't last forever, right? We have a few more years of it. But when it comes to COVID, I think that um, 2020, 2021, were probably going to be the most intense years for us as a country. Um, and one of the reasons is that there are aspects happening at the moment, which unfortunately were also present during some of the previous major pandemics like the 1918 flu. So just to give you an idea, there's an aspect between the planet Saturn and the planet Uranus. And what's interesting is that whenever the two of them meet, there's always something going on in the world in terms of like a new epidemic or new disease. So it was active when the swine flu happened in 2009, but it was also very active in 1918 through 1920. And so we're going through that right now. That aspect fortunately ends in December of this year. And so I am cautiously hopeful that that means that 2022 will be significantly better. And then there are other things coming up later that, that show an improvement on that front. Astrologically, 2020 and 21 are very, very challenging. So in many ways, I could see it just being two very difficult years, hopefully, you know, with things improving. With respect to the elections in 2024, I think that we are going to experience definitely, it's going to be a very intense time. It's going to be definitely full of, full of 
conflict and argument, that is no question. Um, I do think that the U.S. is going to go through um, a period, uh, particularly in kind of the second half of this decade, that is very uh, positive. So it's it's not so much a focus on what happens during this election, but what are the larger influences? And it does look like the second half of this decade will be very positive um, in terms of science, in terms of advancements, in terms of um, you know, kind of real sort of humanistic improvement and growth of just, you know, people, right? Like, it's something that gives us hope for the human race. There are several aspects happening then that um, that trigger the 1776 chart very positively, but also there's some, they're, you know, impacting the rest of the world as well. Um, so I think that's, that's very positive. A couple things going on. So Saturn will be conjunct Neptune and Aries. So that's generally positive, but it's also going to be sextile Uranus and Gemini and Pluto and Aquarius. And so there are what's happening between these larger planetary cycles is that they're meeting in a very harmonious way. And, and because these planets are so slow moving, you don't really see that happen very often at all. So there's one French astrologer who unfortunately has passed away, but he was an expert in uh, mundane astrology. His name was Andre Barbeau, and he called this period a splendid relaunch of civilization. So there is an opportunity for, even though things seem kind of grim and difficult, that second half of this decade seems really positive, very optimistic, and again, kind of a can-do attitude. So I'm hopeful that maybe it'll have something to do with you know, with climate improvement, all those things that impact everyone on the planet. That was Nina Griffin, LA-based astrologer, has written extensively about the astrological history of the United States. Find her at Nina Griffin, that's spelled G-R-Y-P-H-O-N. Com. You can also find out more information about WDET's Summer Book Club, Reading the U.S. Constitution. You can get a copy of that Constitution by going to WDET.org slash Constitution.